This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 180 with guest Anna David. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. It's another episode of the podcast. And guess what? This episode kicks off 10 extra episodes of the recovery series. First of all, can we just celebrate that? How exciting that is. And I know many of you have been waiting a long time to have this come back. And for those of you who might be newer to the podcast within the last year or so, First and foremost, if you don't know, I am a person in long-term recovery. I got sober from alcohol in 2011, so that means I just celebrated September 27th, 2017. I celebrated six years of not drinking any alcohol or doing any drugs for that matter. Drugs were not so much my poison of choice, but alcohol sure was. And even before that, I had other addictions like codependency and love addiction. And if you want to hear all about that, I will post a couple of links in the show notes for you to sort of start from the beginning. And also I will post a link in the show notes for last season's recovery series. And there were 10 episodes. I got so much positive feedback from you all that you loved it and that there are several of you who emailed me and said that that series helped you get sober and stay sober and step into recovery, which I can't even with that. I'm going to have a guest later on one of my friends and colleagues actually, and her name's Tiffany Hahn. She's going to be a guest later in a few weeks. She was one of those people who listened to the recovery series and realized that she had, she did not have a great relationship with alcohol and she got sober. So you'll be able to hear her story as well. So again, I will post those links in the show notes. If you are unfamiliar with my story and where that all starts, as well as give you some sort of background about this recovery series. I also did an episode, I believe it was the very last one, because I had to take a pause during that. Do you guys remember that? When I was doing the recovery series because my dad died. And that was, that was a big deal. That was also, I recorded an episode about how I stayed sober through that grief. And that was really a doozy. So I'll, I'll post all those links in the show notes for you. And I'm very excited to kick it off. My first guest today is Anna David, who's just amazing in the recovery world and even wrote a memoir about her days still drinking. That's called Party Girl. I'll tell you a little bit about her in a second, but I'm really excited because coming up, I mean, it's not like right away, but <laughs> starting on January 22nd, I am kicking off a free four week class. It is more of a steady group, I should say, for my book, because that is coming out in the beginning of January, my book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness. And there is definitely a chapter in there about numbing. So if you're listening to this series because you struggle with numbing your feelings out, there's a whole chapter about that in the book. That is one of the habits that is holding you back from happiness is numbing out. It doesn't have to just be with alcohol, just numbing out feelings in general. And in celebration of that book coming out, I have a ton of bonuses that I'm giving away 
for people that pre-order. So this episode comes out in November, if you're listening to it when it actually comes out, very, very end of November. And if you go to yourkickasslife.com forward slash HTSFLS, you can find links to buy the book as well as sign up to get your bonuses. There's a free workbook that's included. There's this free study group that's led by me, you guys. This isn't like I'm just throwing you in a class all together and saying, have fun, like book club style. Tell me how it goes. No, I'm actually leading it. So I'm the author, obviously. (laughs) But I thought like, how cool is that? Like, I would love to have a self-help book where... I read it and then the author actually goes through it with us and answers questions and offers, you know, support and creates a community of like-minded people who are reading the same book and going through the same thing. Personally, I've read so many self-help books where the information is kind of in one ear and out the other. And I didn't want that to happen for you all. I wanted to create a place where you could go through it and have actual worksheets where you write on them. And that's what I've created. So if you pre-order the book, you can absolutely be included in that class for free, costs $0. I'm also doing a ton of drawings where I'm giving away private sessions with me. I'm giving away prize packs, fancy journals, signed copies of my books, gift cards, a spot in an upcoming class that is coming in the spring that's a thousand dollar value. What else am I giving away? Just prizes, prizes, prizes from some of our sponsors that sponsor the podcast. And you can read all about them over there at yourkickasslife.com forward slash HTSFLS. I would be so appreciative if you bought my book a little early, as well as joined us in that class. I love this stuff. I love interacting with you guys and supporting you how I can. All right. All right. So before we jump into the very first inaugural episode of this season two of the recovery series, let me tell you a little bit about Anna David. Anna David is the New York Times bestselling author of books about addiction, recovery, and relationships. She's been published in the New York Times, the LA Times, Vanity Fair, Playboy, Vice, and Women's Health, among many others, and has appeared repeatedly on The Today Show, Hannity, Dr. Drew, The Talk, and numerous other programs on Fox News, NBC, CBS, MTV, VH1, and E!, all the letters, in other words. A former editor at The Fix, Rehab Reviews, and In Recovery Magazine, she created and hosts the Recover Girl podcast and the recovery storytelling show, Hammered Time. Get it? Ha <laughs> She runs writing and performing workshops and coaches writers through the process of publishing essays and selling their book proposals. By the way, you guys, I'm going to be on her podcast in January. Very excited about that. So without further ado, here is Anna. Hello, Anna. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. I always love these conversations with people because we're all talking about the same thing. We're talking about addiction, more specifically alcoholism in most of these conversations. And I love hearing everyone's story because same thing. It's kind of different, but typically always the same. So I always start out every interview with that. So if you can take some time to tell us what is your drinking story? Were you kind of the person who always knew that you were an alcoholic or what did that actually look like? Well, I will say drugs played a huge part in my alcoholism, but I think of addiction and alcoholism like I use the word synonymously. I would say that I absolutely, well, I had no idea I had a problem until I was sort of holed up by myself doing cocaine. Mm -hmm. And then it's hard to think you don't have a problem when you're doing that. You know it's not normal. But I didn't think I was an alcoholic. I, for some reason, was like, well, I just have a problem with cocaine and maybe pills too. And I 
I didn't have a dramatic bottom externally. You know, my bottom was very much, I didn't want to live anymore, mm-hmm. which it really doesn't get any lower than that. Yeah. But it didn't look you know, it looked bad. I had, you know, I was totally isolated. You know, I was unemployable, but I was employed because I'd been on staff at magazines and it was sort of during the website boom. But I was just like complete empty shell. And I kept wishing I knew I couldn't keep living the way I was living and I didn't think I could live without cocaine. And so I kept wishing the problem would go away. And the only way I could think of was that I would die. And then I knew about rehab, I knew about 12-step programs, and I, even though I'd had no bad exposure, I knew sober people, they were lovely, I still had it in my head that it was going to be the worst thing that could ever happen. And mm-hmm. I do think that one of the major misconceptions people who are struggling have is like they see people like me or you and we're like out here and we're talking about our recovery and they think we like went skipping hand in hand into (laughs) sobriety just so excited about it and it's like no we all felt that way we all thought this is worse than death I think and I don't mean to generalize about everybody but that's what I thought and but I thought well it's probably worse than death but I can't do it the other way I can't kill myself and then see what sobriety is like but I Mm -hmm. could see what sobriety is like And if it's as bad as I'm fully confident it's going to be, then I can reassess this wanting to die thing. And it was nothing like I expected it to be. Absolutely nothing. And I didn't understand how lonely and isolated I was, or I did, but I didn't understand there was any other way to live at that Mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm somebody who 12 steps saved my life. And so it's a super controversial thing. I'm not even supposed to be talking about it, but it (laughs) saved my life. So it's hard not to talk about something that saved your life. You know, my experience was I wanted to die. I didn't think I could quit. I tried over and over and over again to quit. And then I was brought into these rooms and I was told to do something some pretty basic, weird, but basic things. I did them and my desire to drink and do drugs went away. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered that I had all sorts of other problems, (laughs) all sorts of them, you know, because, you know, (laughs) well, because it's like, I believe you stop growing emotionally when you really start drinking alcoholically. Yes. And so it's like, I was 30 years old, but I was 12 years old and all the things that people had learned, all the dealing with rejection. I mean, really dealing with rejection was a big one for me where I just all came from ego. You know, it's like the idea of alcoholism is it's like I'm the piece of crap in the center of the universe or I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. It's like it's like this ego is masking this just fragile, terrified mm-hmm. person inside. And so it's like rejection. I was like, well, F you, you know, and and so really my sobriety and my recovery has been about learning how to be a human being the way I should have learned between the ages of 12 and 30. That's really interesting. I don't know if I've had anybody on the podcast who's brought that up. So thank you for that about the whole concept of stop growing emotionally when your addiction really kicks in. So for me, it was... I started out with massive codependence. Like that, that was my very first addiction. And then mm-hmm. it went into love addiction. I was a raging love addict. And cause pretty much like all love addicts are codependent. And then right. I kind of went in and out of an eating disorder in my twenties. And then when I healed from those things around the age of 30, 31 is when my therapist like kept pointing it out. And I, I went to this other, I went to my boyfriend's rehab at the time, which is sort of ironic. And they were talking about these things. And I was like, Oh, I might actually be at all these things. So I, I went to 12 step programs for that. And then that for me, was when my drinking kicked in and that lasted about, I don't know, a handful of years. I think that it really escalated quickly. And yeah, I stopped growing emotionally when I was what, 15, 16. And so when I got sober, it was like, 
oh shit. <laughs> I have to learn right. how to be a grown up emotionally and mentally in a lot of ways. I was like, I looked like a grown up, but I did not feel like a grown up. And there are some days, I know I talked about the, the my dad died last year and there was like some moments mm-hmm. like right when he died where I was like, where is the grown up here? Cause I cannot, it was like the biggest thing I've ever had to deal with sober. And right. that was like one of those moments. So I think that we're kind of still like, or do you find that we're sort of still handed these moments like during our sobriety and recovery where we're kind of like, okay, this is adulting 101. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. I mean, I do. And it's like, you know, there's this like, like line from 12 step literature. It's like, we intuitively know how to handle situations, which used to baffle us. Mm -hmm. I feel like that a lot. I'm baffled all the time, but like, I do feel like that in like the big situations and you know, whatever I live in fear of like my mom dying, my cat dying, you know, it's like, I haven't actually had to deal with something like that yet, which is like ever in my life, which is weird at my age to like really have had nobody close to me die. And so I, I don't know how I'm going to handle that, but I, I know that I sure know that I can ruin a day thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, alcoholism, even when you're sober, it doesn't go away. My belief for me, it does not go away. I still have an incredibly obsessive brain and I still have a brain I can't entirely trust So it's like, I have very extreme thoughts. So like recovery really for me has been like, when I think, oh, I hate that person. It's like, well, let's put a pin in that. And let's Mm -hmm. like readdress that in a few hours or a few days. Like I just, and so I forget how I was connecting that to the death of a loved one, but basically, oh, I can obsess and I can spin and I can be like, that's going to happen and I'm not going to be okay. And it's like, well, you know what, right here, right now, what's going on? Like, let's do some deep breathing. That's all you have. Yeah. It's it's all you have. And it's, it's just... Yeah. And and I love how you said, too, that 12 step programs, you know, you're learning how to do sort of like these basic but like fundamental things about life. And that's like so for everybody listening to this podcast, like I know that you have a value around personal development. So anyone afraid to give that's your recovery of choice, 12 step programs, which I'm on the same team as you, Anna, like I 12 step program saved my life in a couple of different ways and a couple of different addictions. And it like you're just walking into personal development. Like that's really what it is. And that's what the 12 steps are. It's like, and it's funny because I walked in having already been a life coach for several years and I was like, I've got this. Like I, I, can I skip this one? Can I skip this step? Because I've already, like, I actually have a better tool. And one of my good friends who has several years ahead of me, Courtney Webster, she was on the recovery series. She was like, well, I told her that I had the biggest chip on my shoulder and she's like, you might just want to try that step. (laughs) Yeah. It was a big ego buster. By the way, I think I've emailed with her. I think she lives in LA, right? Yes, she does. Mm -hmm. Yes. We've emailed. We met actually like weirdly. We met at that DC rally, you know, okay. I was there with her. That's so funny. Maybe I didn't meet you and don't remember. Maybe we met, but yeah, it's definitely not what anybody that 12 step world is not what anybody's expecting it to be. And there's so much hysteria and misinformation and and everything out there and and it's not for everyone it took me a long time you know I'll be sober 17 years in November and for 10 of those years I truly drank the Kool-Aid of like if you're not doing this you are gonna die you're gonna go back out Yeah, I don't believe that. I know people, I know people who used to be drug addicts who drink. I know people who used to be alcoholics who do drugs. Like I know people who, you know, I don't know. I know this works for me. Yeah. And that's, that's all I know. Yeah. 
Very, very true. One of the things that I was reading on your website in a couple of different places you have, which I, I love, and I would love to hear more about it is you say you help people access their dark so they can find your light. So can you say more about that? Yes, it's my new. Okay, so I'll explain how this all came about. You know, we were talking before we started recording about how I'm sort of all over the place with what I do. Even like, you know, people who know me are like, "What do I, are you a writer? Like, what, what do you, do you do? actually do?" Because <laughs> yeah. for so long, you know, I published six books in six years. It was very clear I was a writer. That wasn't confusing to anybody. And then I realized I wanted to do a lot more than that. And I started creating these websites around recovery and I sold one of them and ran that for a while. And then I created this course basically in how to write and sell a book proposal. And it's a course and a coaching program. And in the coaching program, I take 10 people for six months and then one of the 10 gets a meeting with my agent and a publisher. But then I started to think about it a couple months ago and I said, well, what am I, am I a writing teacher? No, I'm not a writing teacher. That's, you know, and I do a bunch of, I have a storytelling show in Los Angeles called Hammered Time where comedians tell stories about basically, you know, addiction but they're hilarious oh and then my I god i have so many of those stories one of my oh. best friends is like you need to write a write a book just on your sex and drunk stories and i'm like i don't know <laughs> did it very successfully why not and so i actually now release each so i have five storytellers or comedians a month and now i'm releasing the audio of those as podcasts so and so i was like well really what i do in my writing in my teaching in my storytelling in my podcasts and i also go into treatment centers and lead workshops where I teach the residents there how to tell their stories. You know, I'm helping people access their dark to find their light and Mm -hmm. light meaning like light the way like Leonard Cohen, there's a crack and everything. That's where the light comes in, but also light as in lighthearted as in I want it all to be funny. I do not want to read things that are not funny. I am like a humor obsessive. And, and so I sort of came up with this idea of being a light hustler and it's literally that I launched a site today. I just got an email from my web designer that it's launched. So it's, you know, light hustling. That's like the movement, you know, it's help everybody sort of act. We've all had darkness. Like we've all, I believe we're all in recovery from something and we all have Mm -hmm. stories to tell. And by doing that, my personal experience has been by taking my darkest experiences and making them into material, whether that's a story or an essay or a book, it's healed me. And then in turn, it helps heal other people because they get to read it and see it and go, wait, I have that too. Maybe I can tell more people. And pretty soon we're all talking about all the stuff we're not supposed to be talking about. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I have basically built a business on doing that. Like I started writing about my eating disorder. This was like way back when like Twitter first started and I like a million years ago and I was like, oh, no one's going to read this. You know, it was like a blog spot blog. And then people started reading it and, and I was getting all these emails and I was like, oh, this is like a thing. Like this is actually helping people and it's helping me too. So right. it can't be bad, you know, even though I had like shame around it and things like that. But I love that. And I also love like when you can elicit even just the littlest bit of humor in it. And I know not all things are funny, but most things are funny. You know, it's just like life is so awkward and complicated. And, and I just, I love that. And we'll link up to that, to your new website in the show notes for anybody who's interested in, in jumping over there. And, and that's actually a great segue for my next question. So you've written several books. And so has writing been a part of your recovery, whether it is something that you published or something that you kept private for yourself? 
Absolutely. And I mean, that's also one of the reasons I think like I have thrived in 12 step is that it's like some of the steps are actually writing. And I have always looked at writing as like a healing. It's my first way of healing. You know, mm-hmm. I started my first journal when I was six years old and it has always been where I've gone to make sense of things. And I knew before I started doing my step work, like, oh, I realize things when I'm writing that I can't realize when I'm talking exactly. or thinking, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so, and I was always a writer. That was just, I majored in creative writing. I have, I'm looking right now at my first rejection letter, which I got when I was 12. So I was already submitting stories on my kitchen wall. And the story was called, because you're not going to believe it didn't sell, all about my splinter. And it was from my Garden of Adventures book one. Can you believe they rejected it? Um, dare them. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm sure they're so sad about that. But so it's always what the only thing I wanted to do. And it didn't, I got sober in LA. And I've always been this sort of chronic confessionalist who just told everybody everything. So I started talking about this stuff. It's kind of like you were talking about with the eating disorder, where it's like, I started writing about it and talking about it and I didn't know I wasn't supposed to mm-hmm. like the shame about it came later so it's like I released this book and I'm talking I went on the Today Show and I'm going on Fox News and I'm talking about being an addict and an alcoholic and then it's only later that I go people say oh that's so brave it's like no no it was so ignorant like I just didn't know I wasn't supposed to <laughs> You know, so now all these people do it. And I think it's great because not everybody's lucky enough to live in a place like L.A. where, you know, half the city is sober and the other half needs to get sober. Mm -hmm. So if you don't live there and you are living in a place where it's not quite so acceptable and you can't, you know, and you might be discriminated about getting a job and all of that stuff. Good. Have the people who have the freedom to talk about these things show you that there's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I've, I've made that comment too. And cause I've talked about writing, you know, my own journey and writing about this publicly, but I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think that it is like a, like a, you have to talk publicly about your addiction or whatever you're struggling with in order to heal. I think it's great that there are those of us that do have the, the privilege of, of being safe enough to do it. Because I do think that if we, I mean, that's what the documentary, the anonymous people was all about, about, you know, right. if we could tap into these millions and millions of people who are in long-term recovery, we could really turn this thing on its head and just, if nothing else, take down some of the shame and stigma around it. Because I know personally, as when I got sober, I had two little kids. And I think that when you are a mother in recovery, I think that the stigma is unique. I think it exists for everyone, but I think especially for mothers, we face a different kind because you're considered a bad mother. If you don't have the moral, you know, I'm using quotes over here, the moral wherewithal to stay sober for your children, then you are, you are subhuman. And I I saw that very quickly in the rooms and, and the shame and the, just the devastation that was going on in there. And I was, I was lucky enough to get out before like I mentioned, I had a high bottom. Nobody even really knew that I had a problem. Like, I think my husband said that he wondered about it one time and my mom had made one comment to my sister. I think it was the Thanksgiving or the Christmas before I got sober because I was the only one drinking and I was drinking a mm-hmm. lot. And mm-hmm. so it was just barely starting to be noticeable. And I, I know that it can be really tough, but I, I'm with you about some. And, and I know for everyone, it's not writing. Like maybe you're listening and it's drawing or painting or singing or right. it's writing songs or singing songs that somebody else wrote or poetry or oh, there's so many different modes of creativity. But I do believe that creativity is a method of healing for everyone. 
Yes. And it's like, yeah, it's definitely not everybody needs to go out and do this, but people who hear it and go, oh my God, that's me. You know, you know, when you're someone who wants to be doing that. And a lot of us do. I think that that creative people, you know, the statistics about alcoholism are pretty high for those of us who are, you know, creative. They're on the rise. So I think that, you know, there are people I know and people I've helped who write under a pen name, Mm -hmm. you know, who you don't need to go out and put your face on it. You don't need to do any of it. Yeah. And it can be private. It doesn't need to be published. So there are all sorts of ways to do it. But for me, it's an intrinsic part of my recovery. Me too. Me too. And so you've mentioned that you've been sober for 17 years. Congratulations. That's amazing. So what is, what does sobriety look like for you on a daily basis now versus what it looked like in the beginning? Or is there a difference? You know, not as much of a difference as you might think. You know, I was, I mean, I would say the desire to drink and do drugs went away so quickly that it's astounding. And immediately it became clear that like what I had to learn how to live. Mm-hmm. And I think that recovery is not linear. So the unfortunate thing is that you start like, oh, at one year I feel this and then two yeah. years I feel better and then three years, you know, and, and I think it can be a shock to sort of hit bottoms in recovery because you think like, I have 12 years, I shouldn't be feeling like this. But I've had some really rough times emotionally, you know, just in my head, really. So when you say um, hit bottom in recovery, do you mean like going through like a hardship, like in your personal or professional life? Yeah. It just mean emotionally feeling as bad as I felt before I got sober. And it's happened. And, you know, for me, you know, recovery gives me these tools. And so, but I've gone through periods where the tools haven't made a difference. You know, I went through, you know, it's like, I remember, you know, I was going, I just was depressed and I was calling my sponsor and I was going, okay, I'm praying, I'm meditating, I'm being of service, I'm doing, you know, why isn't this lifting? Mm-hmm. And she was like, well, sometimes it just doesn't Yeah. until it does. You know, I've been on a very good trajectory. You know, I always like to think, well, like I've been great for a while, so I'll just be great for the rest of my life. But it's sort of like, I have a friend who says, you know, life is about getting comfortable with discomfort. Yeah. Because really depression, anxiety, mourning, the most serious things. You could just call that discomfort. Yeah, it is. And it's just really a part of life. It totally and completely is a part of life. And I I love that you, I love when people come on and like drop truth bombs. And that's true. I think that sometimes the tools don't work. And even in in just regular, good old fashioned, run of the mill personal development, it's the same thing. There are times where I might fall down, you know, like the compare and despair radical. And, you know, I'm, I'm using my tools that I have for negative self-talk and I have to like keep using those tools over and over and over again for hours and hours and hours. And then finally I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to put my laptop away and just quit working for today. And I have that luxury of being able to do that. Not for very long, but I think that, yeah, just give yourself permission to like have a shit day because sometimes we have, um, Well, yeah. And I think the problem is, and I don't know if this is unique to alcoholics or, you know, if it's just, but I think it's the volume is turned up higher in alcoholics. It's like, we want to figure it out. Yeah. You know, my, my sponsee left me this message. She's just like, I'm just bummed and I don't know why. And I was like, and I can't figure it out. And I left her a message and I was like, I did the same thing and stop trying to figure it out because in quote, figuring it out, what we're doing is we're going, well, I could be depressed because this thing is really bad or because this thing is really bad. Like all we're doing is reinforcing what's bad. And I think sometimes like alcoholics, like we're just kind of spoiled and we think like I should always feel good. And if I don't feel good, I got to figure out how to feel good. And it's like, well, no, no, that's not (laughs) the deal. The deal is like sometimes you don't feel good and you just have to accept it and you have to figure out what you 
do to combat that. Speaking of which, I actually have a free cheat sheet that people can get on my website, which is happiness hacks. It's like eight tools for when you're like that and you're trying to figure it out and you're like, no, I do these eight things instead. So anybody who wants that can go to annadavidcoaching.com. Perfect. We'll pop that in the show notes for somebody, anybody that wants to grab that. And yeah, I call that over, over here in these parts over-identification. And it's actually like, um, I think it's a psychology term. And I learned it in one of my certifications and it really is about overthinking it. I get a lot of those people who want to, I always tell them like, put your label maker away because like they want to label Mm -hmm. it. Like, is this my inner critic? Is this good or bad? Is, you know, how long will I be? And like, like you were saying, like, try to figure it out. And sometimes like I'll have a client or somebody in my class who's asking me a question and I'm just like, I have no idea what the answer is to that. Like, and, and I think that you are overthinking it. Like, can you just surrender to what is like at some point, like that's the biggest lesson for me in recovery and just in personal development in general is self-trust and surrender. That is still like, I call that a one day at a time, definitely like one day at a time gig because surrender, I got surrender tattooed on my arm because I had to remind myself of it every single day to just like live and let live and just just let it go. Yeah. Yeah. It's really hard to tell the difference sometimes between like life going well and being surrendered because yeah. they feel the same <laughs> yeah. to me. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm just so surrendered. And it's like, no, no, I'm just getting what I want right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> life is just flowing nicely. <laughs> yeah, It's harder to surrender when there's something or like a decision you need to make or something going on where you have a lot of stress and overwhelm. And just that's when I find is the hardest. And my friend Courtney that I just mentioned, she calls that like when you jump out of the plane and your parachute won't open, like those are the times where you're asking for Mm. surrender. And like, (laughs) right. That's me. Right. That's when I usually like pray and like meditate and stuff like that. When, you know, shit's exploded. I find it harder to lean into those maintenance tools when things are going really good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I know. And then it's like, Yeah. And then, you know, it's like if you're not checking in with people, then suddenly there's like a breakdown and they have no idea what's going on because you've just been so happy and fine for so long. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, what do you think? And I know this is like probably a loaded question, but what do you think have been your biggest life lessons or any lessons for that matter in recovery and sobriety? I would say the biggest life lesson, I mean, this is like a more recent thing, is It's all so ridiculous. (laughs) Life, I mean. And we take it so seriously. We take ourselves so seriously. And to kind of like, I've just been, this has been kind of like what I've been obsessing over the last like six months of my life. It's just like, wow, like none of us really know what we're doing here. Like what our parents didn't tell us because they didn't know. And so like, if I can look at it, as just this like wild ride. Like, I don't know if we're reincarnated. I don't know anything. But like, if I am just this soul that's living in this body, I should just go try to enjoy that today because that's a crazy opportunity. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just sort of like trying to get this or not even trying, but just kind of walking into this space of getting like, you know, for a long time, you know, we're fed these messages that like, if you just get this, you're going to be happy, whether that's money or a relationship or career or, or whatever it is, a house, a car. And then, and then 
we all have the experience of realizing, oh, my God, that was a lie. I remember when we sold my first book, I remember saying to myself, I will be happy for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. if this book sells. Absolutely. It's what I'd wanted my whole life. I was 32 years old. This is like my dream. And it sold. And for two weeks, I felt that way. And then two weeks later, I was like, well, God damn it. I got to write another book. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. it was gone. And, And so if it's not about that, if it's not about what we're fed and what we're told, then what is it about? And none of us really know. You know, and anybody who says they do can't guarantee that, you know, they're not full of it, but they can't guarantee it. So so I don't really know that that's an answer, but it can make life easier, I think, if you just remember how ridiculous it all is. And that, like we have so many things explained to us in our lives. Nobody ever explains what it is we're doing here. Nobody. (laughs) No, I wonder if that ever does really even get answered, you know, like on our deathbed or anything. Who knows? But makes me think of I I wrote a post and created a podcast episode on it not that long ago. I'll post it in the show notes about purpose. And I get that question all the time. You know, people are desperate to find their purpose. And I understand where it's coming from. You know, we want to know that our lives matter. We want to know that we matter. And I've always felt like, like, I don't know if this is my purpose. I don't know if I'm living my purpose. I hope I am. But to me, I found so much relief and surrender in just focusing on my path. Like my path is my purpose. And I don't even know which direction that path is supposed to be. I'm just like trying to do my best every day. Sometimes my best isn't super awesome, but I try and it's just your path is your purpose. I got a lot of really good feedback on that. People saying like, thank you. Thank you for like kind of taking the pressure off. That was really helpful. But that's been one of the lessons for me in sobriety is like, there's not like this one thing that I have to do that's going to give my life so much. I thought that it was motherhood. Turns out it's not. Like I doesn't say I love my kids any less, but I'm like, it's, I don't think that that's it. I think that there's so much more to that. And I don't know exactly what it is. I might never know when I'm however old and, and leaving this earth, but yeah, I felt like that took some of the pressure off. Yeah. I mean, and it's like maybe life would be really boring if we knew mm-hmm. what it was all, you know, what our purpose was and what it was all about. You know, that's the that's why we're here is to figure it all out. Yeah. You know, and I don't think there is any one definitive answer. At I agree all. with you. I agree. And I just I have one more question for you before we wrap yeah. it up. And that is because I love, you know, be really transparent. And I know that my listeners do they appreciate it so much, too. And so can you tell us one thing at the moment that you're really proud of and one thing that you're struggling with? Oh, God. Okay, pressure. Hold on. I am... I would say the struggle is easier. I don't really have problems anymore because I've dealt with them. So, but my brain is so heavily fixated on finding problems that now what it does, because it doesn't know what else to do. What's it supposed right. to do? Just be content, you know? And it's not my fault. Like we're, we're you know, our ancestors were fighting off right. wild boars. Like we're mm-hmm. looking for danger, but so it obsesses. I'm obsessing over aging. Oh my God, me I, too. Yeah. It is so weird because it's like, I think for so much of my life, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that happens to other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And then it's like, what? It's happening to me, to me the audacity of life <laughs> to do this to me too. And we're, our culture is so screwed up when it comes yeah. to aging. I mean, and particularly like being a woman living in LA. I mean, it's just, and I can't believe it. So I obsess over that. And then I obsess over the fact that I'm obsessed over it because then I'm like, well, you're just getting older. I mean, you're sitting here thinking, but you just wasted five minutes thinking about it. So it's like, I don't know. All happiness studies say that we're happier when we're older. I don't believe it. Yeah. I don't study. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Yeah. So, so something 
changes in our perception about that. And it hasn't happened to me yet. So I'd say that's a struggle. And what am I proud of? You know what I'm proud of is that I'm in a space right now of a kind of faith that I haven't had before and not about like staying sober. You know, like I said, for me, it's about living life is the problem, not staying sober. You know, and you and I were talking about this a little bit before we recorded, but, you know, I basically for so long was like, I've got to make it as a writer. I've got my book's got to be a vessel. I got to do this. And then I've worked for a succession when that was not a fully self-supporting thing. I've worked for a succession of crazy, horrible people. And the last time this blew up was very recently, like three months ago, I was working for a company that hired me and it turns out it was being run out of jail. And the guy running the company in jail, his jail mate asked me to write a introduction to this book he was self-publishing. I said no, and I got fired. And I was like the editor-in-chief of a magazine. And, <laughs> I, and I was just like, you know what? I don't think I can do this anymore. I don't think I can work for crazy people and make them money. And I just sort of made this commitment to just like, you know what, this, it's about me now. And, and I have all this faith and, you know, I'm focusing fully on my programs that I'm developing and, and creating more courses. And, you know, and I have another company where because people will come to me and ask me to write their books and I don't right now. So I have a company where if people want books written, they come to me and I have a writer, I put one of my writers on it and I edit it and they have me as a consultant. And so the more, it's not like, oh, I'm just so, I just expect it's going to work out mm -hmm. and it keeps working out. And I'm proud of that. I love it. I love that. And that's, I find similarly both to your struggle and your, your thing that you just mentioned for me, when I started your kick-ass life seven years ago, like, and it was, some of it was ignorance, <laughs> but it was like, it's just not going to not work out. Like it's going right. to be successful. I don't know. I hadn't defined success yet, but I just like, it was just going to work. I knew that. And again, part right. of it was because like, I had no idea what I was doing and I just went on like sheer faith and passion alone which I think can really carry you, but, and also yes to the aging thing. Like I totally, once I turned 40 and like tipped over that mountain, I started yeah. noticing things and I, especially like in pictures and on camera and I'm like, whose neck is that? Cause that's not mine. Right. Like, <laughs> who photoshopped some old lady's neck in this picture? <laughs> right. Right. Who? I know. And it's weird because nobody told us how hard and weird this was going to be. Right. They joked about it. You know what I mean? Like over the hill, but like, yeah, I really didn't get how weird it was going to be. It's emotional. I think it's emotional. And I think that I just, I talk about it because for a while I was like, I can't talk about this because people are going to expect me to age gracefully. I don't know what the fuck that means. And I'm waiting. Like, I feel like maybe when I turn 50, then, because I know a lot of 50 year old women who are like, they don't give a fuck about it. And I'm like, hopefully that's my birthday present when I turn 50. Cause I want to just right. totally not care and totally embrace it. And this whole, I'm waiting for this like invitation to this aging gracefully like seminar that I uh, can go to <laughs> and too. download it. Maybe it's a free download somewhere. Maybe okay. somebody, if, if any listener is offering that, just email me too. Okay. Because <laughs> so, I'm, I'm struggling. Yeah. I, I, I'll be fine. Everybody don't email me. I'll be fine. It's, it's a process. And I welcome these kind of processes because I always learned so much about myself. And again, it goes back to that whole surrender thing where I'm like, this is what this journey is going to look like for me. And the more I fight it and pretend that it's fine, the worse it's going to be. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Right. So. Right. And I was just thinking as you were saying this could help me like with my obsession is like you know when we were in the struggle with alcoholism whatever that looked like we didn't get that the other side was going to be a relief right we, we, and like so that's probably true about aging too 
I bet it is. Yeah, I bet it is. I just am waiting. Yeah, <laughs> we'll wait together. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for being here. This has been such a great conversation. And, and I, I just I am so I'm so lucky to get to have these conversations with such powerful women in recovery and sobriety. And we have linked up to all of the links that we have talked about in the show notes. You can find Anna in cyberspace and follow her everywhere. And thank you listeners so much for being here. I so appreciate the time that we get to spend together, whether you listen just to this recovery series or you listen to both the regular and the recovery series. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Hey, ass kickers, you know, it would help me out so much if you left a rating and review for this podcast. Your Kick-Ass Life podcast will always be free to you and to help me get more awesome guests and to spread the word, it helps tremendously if you leave a rating and a review. Now, they don't particularly make this super easy to do, so I'll help you out a little. If you're in iTunes and you're on your phone, when you are in the podcast app, you need to search for Your Kick-Ass Life podcast. I know, even if you're subscribed, this is how you do it. So when you search for it and you see it come up, click on the cover art, then towards the top where it says reviews, click that, scroll down a tiny little bit, and then click write a review. Stitcher is a bit easier if you're on Android. The easiest way I found to do this is to type into Google stitcher.com, your kick-ass life, and voila, my podcast should pop up as the first link. Scroll down and click write a review. That's it. Thank you so very much. You have no idea how much it helps me when you do that. All right. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.